John chapter 1 this morning. God has spoken in many times and in many ways. He has spoken through dreams and visions. He's spoken through personal appearances called theophanies. He has spoken through the prophets. The 4,000 years of God's revelation that, that we have was peppered with special revelation from God. Even during the time of the exile, God was sounding His voice through the prophets. And one after another, prophet would come and speak to the people who were moved from their land. Then Malachi spoke. Malachi promised that the Lord would come in judgment against the wicked and that a forerunner in the manner of Elijah would come to announce the coming of the Messiah. And the voice of God's revelation continued to sound like a drum throughout human history until Malachi, and then there was silence. A hundred years after Malachi, and no further revelation from God. Still waiting for this Messiah. Another hundred years passes, still no revelation. Another hundred years, and a hundred more. Four hundred years in all. There's no more revelation from God since Malachi promised that there was a Messiah that was going to come. And then, John the Baptist comes onto the scene. And he begins preaching, this, he begins his ministry of preaching in the mid-20s A.D., and there's something different about John the Baptist. He wears unusual clothes. He speaks a powerful message. He's not in it for the money. But he gains a large following nonetheless. And so the Jews and the rest of the watching world is saying, who is this man? We're waiting for the Messiah. And then this, this amazing character comes onto the scene. John the Baptist. And the Apostle John, the writer of this Gospel, has already introduced us to this man, John the Baptist, in verses 6-8. through eight. And we learn that John the Baptist was sent from God, that he is a witness to the light, but he's not the light of the world. He wanted to make that clear. And so, in, in the pond of God's revelation, John the Baptist makes a huge splash, like a, a child jumping in uh, using a cannonball-type motion. John the Baptist leads a number of people who are waiting for the Messiah to think that, that John the Baptist himself was the Messiah. But in our text today, we're going to see that John the Baptist was sent for a specific purpose by God in order to allow the people to whom he was speaking, to know something of great importance. We'll see if we can find out what that is in our text today. We begin in chapter 1 of John's Gospel with verse 19. This is the Word of God. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one 
whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who is higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen him and have testified that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist came for a specific purpose by God. He was sent by God to proclaim a specific message. He is the forerunner of Christ. He wants to show that he is not the Christ, but that he came to proclaim Christ. John the Baptist, in our text, was sent to proclaim Christ. Now, John the Gospel writer, different John than John the Baptist, John the the Apostle, the Gospel writer, has made some pretty strong claims about Jesus in the first 18 verses. He has called Jesus the Word of God, the Creator. Remember in verse 3, all things were made through Him. The life, the light of men, sent from God, the way for people to come to God, the Son of God, the glory of the Father, the fullness of God's glory. And he's going to add to those names in this passage. And if the Apostle John is going to make such strong claims that Jesus is the Son of God, the light, the Creator, the, the, the life, then he better be able to confirm those claims. And that's what really chapters 1 through 12 are all about. He's going to record uh, several evidences or claims or confirmations that Jesus is the Son of God. And this will be his signs. Remember in chapter 20, verse 30, we saw the, these signs have been given to you so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But before he gets into those signs, the miracles, in chapter 2, John wants to show the identity of John the Baptist. He wants us to recognize that John the Baptist is not the Messiah, but he is the forerunner to the Messiah. He is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he is greater than all the Old Testament prophets because he is the immediate forerunner to the Christ. All the other prophets would love to be in the shoes of John the Baptist because they could meet him meet Christ face to face. And that's what John gets to do. He gets to to be the herald for the coming Messiah King. So, in the text we first see the identity of John the Baptist and then we'll see his message. But first, the identity of John the Baptist. He wants to make sure that everyone knows that he is not the Messiah. Apparently, John the Baptist started to gain a following and gain disciples and that's why you see this baptism going on. And so news of this spreads to the Jewish religious leaders who are trying to gain their own following. And so they send some dignitaries or messengers to find out what's going on. Notice in in verse 19, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Remember, these Jews are not insincere. They're not trying to trap John the Baptist here at this point. They genuinely want to know who the Messiah is. They want to meet Him. 
That's why I say he makes a huge splash into the pond of God's revelation because it's as if John's coming onto the scene with this powerful message and starting to gain a huge following and people are saying, who is this guy? Maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the promised Messiah. But notice John's emphatic response in verse 20. I love the way the Apostle John, the writer of this Gospel, puts it. And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. So three ways to say this is serious. He's very serious about what he's about to say. He confessed, he did not deny, but he confessed. And what did he confess? At the end of verse 20 he says, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. So we first need to know that John the Baptist is not the Messiah. Obviously, we know that, but, but John wants to make that clear in his gospel. Instead, John, John calls himself, what I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to call it the herald of the coming king in verses 21 through 23. So they, they respond to him, if you're not the Messiah, then who are you? I mean, who preaches the kingdom? We know from the other gospel, he preaches the kingdom, repentance and forgiveness of sins. Who, who does that but not, and gains this huge following and is not the Messiah? If you're not the Messiah, then maybe you're Elijah. And John says, no, I'm not the Elijah. I, I'm not Elijah. Elijah is the forerunner to the Messiah. That's what was promised in Malachi. In Malachi's prophecy, that Elijah would come before the Messiah, that he would be the one who would be the forerunner to the Christ. So if you're not the Messiah and you're not Elijah... Notice verse 21 at the end of the verse. Are you the prophet? And John says, no, I'm not the prophet. The prophet is probably what Moses was talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 18. He was predicted by Moses to be a man who would speak on behalf of God and who would receive, be received by Israel. When Jesus feeds the 5,000 later on in this gospel, the people recognize that he indeed is the prophet. There's something about you. If you can do this, if you can feed this many people with just five loaves, loaves and two fish, you must be the prophet. And so apparently the Jews thought that the Messiah and the prophet were two different people. That there was a prophet, kind of like Elijah and the Messiah are two different people. There was a prophet and there was a Messiah. And what we now know is that the prophet is the Messiah. The prophet that was promised in Deuteronomy chapter 18 is the Christ. And John's saying, no, I'm not the prophet either. Instead, so they ask in verse 22, then who are you? What do you say about yourself? And notice how John responds. He doesn't really identify himself except as one who is a pointer to Christ. Verse 23, he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as Isaiah the prophet said. So that quotation in the middle of the verse is in all capital letters. Uh, it indicates that this is a quotation from the Old Testament as he indicates at the end of the text when he says as Isaiah the prophet said and we know from the margin of our Bible that that comes from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 in Isaiah 40 Isaiah is indicting Israel for their sin and saying there's, there's consequences coming for your sin Israel but that's not the end God's not ultimately about judgment Judgment is only a precursor to the blessing that's going to come because that judgment is going to be replaced by the coming of the Messiah. It's going, to be, be, it's going to make way for the coming of the Messiah. So yes, Israel, you're going to be judged because you haven't followed me, but there's coming a Messiah. And one day you will follow Him. But before the Messiah comes, Isaiah says, 
There's coming one crying in the wilderness who's going to say, make straight the way of the Lord. He's like the herald who's announcing the coming of the king. John's saying, that's me. You want to know who I am? I'm the forerunner of Christ. I'm the herald of the coming Messiah King. So the rest of our text this morning is devoted to John the Baptist doing what he was commissioned to do. And we're going to see that this, this message of John the Baptist in verses 24 through 34, and, and there are two parts to his message. First, John, John's baptism points to Christ, and then Christ's identity reveals who he is. So first, John's baptism points to Christ in verses 24 through 26. Verse 24 says, Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him. So after John identifies who he is, they still have more questions. Verse 25, they ask, Why then are you baptizing? If you're not the Christ, or, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. So this group comes, and they want to know, on behalf of the Sanhedrin by whom they're sent, who are you? And when John says, I'm the forerunner of Christ, then their next question is, notice it's a continuation, it's the same group. That's why they say in verse 25, why then, if you are the forerunner of Christ, then why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ? If you don't have any authority, then why are you baptizing with authority? Or we could ask it another way, by whose authority are you baptizing these people, John? Who gives you the authority, the right, to be able to baptize these people? And John the Baptist responds in verse 26. He doesn't say, very directly, I have been sent from God and I baptize on His authority. Instead, he points forward to the reason that he is here. He says in verse 26, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. So I am not the Messiah. I am baptizing and I am sent from God, but what you need to focus on is not my baptizing and not my following what you need to focus on is the coming baptism of the Messiah. That there is a man that's greater than I am and he has a greater baptism than I have. John's baptism was a picture of being of, of repentance. It was a picture of turning from sins and turning in obedience to God. And John's saying there's something better than that coming. That Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And what he's talking about there is, is the institution of the local church and Christ's reign over that. The rest of the text identifies Christ in a number of ways. So John is continuing to talk here to this, this group of messengers. And the first, the first name or identity that we have of Christ in this text is in verse 27. He is the exalted one. John the Baptist describes Jesus as the exalted one. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany. The point is that John is making is that he, should, that he himself should not be the focus of their attention. He should not be the focus of their longing, their desire for this Messiah. John's saying, I am the moon, but the sun's coming. I'm just a reflection of, of the greater light. John's saying, I'm the telescope. But, God, but, but, but Jesus is the horizon. I am the herald. He is the king. 
All your focus right now is on me and what I'm doing, but what I'm telling you is I'm pointing to something else. I'm pointing to the exalted one. I'm, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Second way that Christ is identified is in verse 29, and that is as the Lamb of God. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Apparently the messengers after they got word of who this man was who was baptizing in the wilderness, they, sent, they took that word back to the Sanhedrin. And on the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus. And what John's going to tell us later is that he didn't know that he was the Messiah right away. In fact, John, and, John the Baptist and Jesus likely knew each other growing up. And, and they spent a lot of time together, but he didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah until his baptism, which we'll get to in verses 32 and 33. But apparently this happens after that. Behold the Lamb of God. God some way reveals to John the Baptist that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God. This, this has to be referring to Christ as a sacrificial lamb. I mean, think about it from a Jewish perspective. What would they think of when they thought of a lamb? The lamb of God. Not as some triumphant war, warrior, but as the one who would atone for sins. That's what lambs were used for in the Old Testament. One of their uses. Now, certainly the Jews might not have understood all of what that meant, that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Maybe John the Baptist didn't understand all the implications of it either. But this was God's way of saying that this is my sacrificial Lamb, my Lamb who is going to pay for the sins of those who believe. Remember, it was the blood of the Lamb at the Exodus that was placed on the doorpost that caused the wrath of God to the, the angel of God to pass over those who had its blood on their doorposts. And it's the blood of the Lamb that atoned for the sins in a temporal way for the Old Testament believer, that they would bring the, the Lamb to the, to the tabernacle and to the temple and their sins would be forgiven. They would be cleansed. And it is Jesus whose blood will be applied to us that he will also cause the wrath of God to be assuaged, to be satisfied, to be propitiated. That, that the, the wrath that's deserved, that, that's deserved by us is taken upon Christ, isn't it? Because he is the Passover lamb. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thirdly, we see that Jesus is the eternal God in verse 30. John goes on to say, This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And the reason I say eternal God is, is because he existed before me. He comes after me. He's my predecessor, or my successor, but he's also my predecessor. He comes after me and he comes before me because he existed before me. He is the pre-existent one. We saw this in verse 15. John had already said this once and he repeats it again. And there's only one person who has existed both after John and before John. This is the God-man, Jesus Christ. Same as 
the one who existed before Abraham and after Abraham in John chapter 8, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago. The Christ. Before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus is the eternal God. Fourthly, we see that Jesus is the hope of Israel in verse 31. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John the Baptist didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. But in order for Israel to know that this is the Messiah, John the Baptist was sent to first understand who he is, get the special revelation from God that this is the Messiah, and then pronounce that this is the Messiah. See this man over here? This is the Lamb of God. This is the eternal God. This is the hope of Israel. The reason that John performs this water baptism is in keeping with the picture of of our believer's baptism. It's a picture of cleansing. It's consistent with John's message, which is a message of repentance. That he is preparing the way of the Lord. Like like a, a servant of the king would come and prepare the roads for the king. Prepare the people for the king. And John's doing the same thing. He's saying, you need to get your hearts right because here's the Messiah. He's coming. You want to be in good standing with God here. Obviously, he's going to help make that happen. The Messiah is. Fifthly, we see that Jesus is the theocratic king. Verses 32 and 33. Until... Jesus is baptized. John is not sure who this man is. He doesn't know who the Messiah is. In Luke's Gospel, or or Mark's Gospel, I think it is, John the Baptist is in prison, and he still at that point apparently doesn't know who the Messiah is. Are you sure that this is the Messiah? So he sends some messengers to talk to to Jesus. Are, Are you the one? And Jesus says, well, are the lame walking? Are the blind seeing? Are the dead being raised? Just as was, as was promised in Isaiah's prophecy, then I am the one, is essentially what he was saying. But it was at his baptism that John the Baptist understood. So maybe that prison um, doubt that John the Baptist has actually comes after this, and maybe he's still not sure. But, but apparently at his baptism, what we do know is that God reveals to John that this is the Messiah whom he is baptizing. Ba- baptizing. There's a lot that we could say about Jesus' baptism, that all three persons of the Trinity are, are there. God the Father, not in this text, but in Mark's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel. God the Father is speaking from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Spirit's descending on him like a dove, and Jesus is there. There are three different persons, but one God. And so there's much we could say there. Um, we might look at this text and think that Jesus is somehow getting the Holy Spirit for the first time or like when we think we get the Spirit we're trying to think of salvation from sins obviously that can't be the case but look at verse 32 John testified saying I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he remained upon him the Messiah and I did not recognize him but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit So obviously this doesn't mean that Jesus got saved, that the Spirit's descending on him, or that somehow Jesus was without the Holy Spirit before, and now happily he's got him. This is the same kind of thing that would happen to the God-appointed leaders in the Old Testament, the theocratic kings. Theocratic, theo meaning God, cratic meaning rule. 
the God-ruled nation of Israel was ruled by one king. Right? It started with Moses um, wasn't called a king, but he was God's appointed leader, his theocratic ruler over the nation of Israel. And then the 70 elders, the Spirit came upon them. And then on, on uh, Joshua, and then the judges, and then you have Saul and David, and then the kings that followed. And each time, in, in most of the cases, not all the kings had this statement said about them, but apparently what was happening each time these theocratic rulers would take their position, they would have the Holy Spirit come upon them with great power. Remember Samson in Judges chapter 6, I think it is, that he came upon him with great power. So what is this? What's going on here? I think this is not obviously not salvation. We know that it came on King Saul and it left King Saul and instead an evil spirit came upon him. And when the spirit left Saul, it went on to David. So it can't be talking about salvation. David, when he sins against God with Bathsheba and against Uriah, prays in Psalm 51, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So is he saying, don't unsave me? Don't cause me to lose my salvation? No, what he's saying is, don't take my God-appointed position of rulership, of, uh, of leadership over the people of Israel. So this is what I would call, the theo- or what theologians call the theocratic anointing where God comes upon these rulers to give them a special administrative ability to be able to handle the, the, the issues that they're taking care of. And it could come on either a good king or an evil king, like King Saul, who was an unbeliever. It came on him and then left him. And, and that happens throughout the Old Testament until Israel's without a king. And so when Jesus comes... We have this powerful scene that John the Baptist witnesses at his baptism, at Jesus' baptism, where the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus, showing that he is the theocratic king of Israel. Now, think carefully. When does the Holy Spirit leave Christ in this sense? When does the Holy Spirit come off of Jesus and go on to someone else? And the answer is it doesn't. He, he doesn't. Right? The Holy Spirit remains on him. So that means that Jesus is still in the position. He still is the rightful heir to the throne of David. He is the, the king of Israel. And makes makes his death all the more interesting because that remember the sign that was put over him? This is the king of the Jews. That's absolutely right. I mean they they were doing that as a mockery. And they tried to say, right, remember the Jews, they said, can you change the wording on that to say that he said he was the king of the Jews? And Pilate said, no, what's written is written. And that's exactly what ought to have been written because he is the king of the Jews. And one day he will come back and rule on David's throne as that theocratic ruler. But that's what's happening here. God is sending his spirit upon Jesus to show that he is the the promised Messiah, the promised king who would rule over Israel. The point for the Jews was that they no longer needed to look for a Messiah. And the point for Jews today is the same thing. They no longer need to look for a Messiah. He has come. It's Jesus. The same thing is true for us. We don't need to look for a Messiah to come and solve all of our problems. He's already come. Certainly He's coming again, but but we don't have to look for someone to try to fulfill all these prophecies that were promised in the Old Testament. 
he is the theocratic king of Israel. And, and because Israel will have rule over all the nations, we are under his rule as well. Finally, Jesus is described here by John the Baptist as the Son of God in verse 34. I myself have seen him and have testified that this is the Son of God. When John the Baptist finally identified who Jesus was at his baptism, John proclaimed the most revealing words that he could, and that is that Jesus is the Son of God. This is a huge claim. That the long-expected Christ has arrived. His name is Jesus. And John, if you're going to make such a stark claim, then, then that opens the door up to a dozen other questions like, if he is the Son of God, then how can we be sure that he's the Son of God? And, and who gives Jesus the authority to call himself the Son of God, as he will do later? How can we know that he really has come from God? If he is the Son of God and the King of Israel, then will Israel be rele- released from the oppression of Rome? And is, if he is the Son of God, when will the kingdom come? Who's going to get a special place in that kingdom to rule? What is the Son of God going to do to our enemies? And all these questions and many more will be explored in the rest of John's Gospel. For now, let's consider some application. Number one, recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. The first part of John's Gospel is designed to establish the identity of Christ. Chapter 1 is loaded with all these names and descriptions of Christ. He is not less than human, but he's certainly much more than human. He is both human and divine. He is the God-man. He is the Word of God who existed before creation. He was active in creation. All things were created through Him. He is the divine Word, but He's not just the divine Word. He is the exact representation of God. He is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we are meant to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. Those who believe that are Christians. That's what 1 John says. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that shows that you truly are His disciple. But we're not only meant to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, we must also respond to the Messiah with faith, awe, and humility. We must stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. It's not that we just academically recognize, connect the dots, okay, Jesus of Nazareth equals Messiah, we got it. We're supposed to stand and respond like John the Baptist does, what he calls for, and that is faith, awe, and humility. You see, John the Baptist takes God at his word. This is the Messiah. This is the one who is anointed by the Holy Spirit to be the King of Israel. But not only does John believe it, that's the faith part, but he also stands in awe of it, doesn't he? He says in verse 31, I did not recognize him but so that he might be manifested to Israel. I came baptizing in water, and John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending on him. He says, God told me that he was the Messiah, and so I have testified that, verse 34, he is the Son of God. And so John steps back and is amazed. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so John believes that he is the Messiah. He stands in awe of him. His 
sandals. I, I can't even untie. I'm unworthy to do that. I'm unwilling to be even called his servant. And then thirdly, John responds with humility. He recognizes his own role in relationship to Jesus. He's not a competitor. John is not a successor to Jesus, but John is a predecessor and a pointer. He has a higher rank than I, he says in verse 30, for he existed before me. And we would do well to follow the example of John in these three ways. Follow Jesus to believe that he is the Messiah, to stand amazed at Jesus with awe, and to recognize our role of humble servants. And one final thing. One way we can apply this to our lives is is to proclaim the word of, of the Lord. If we recognize who Jesus is and what he came to do, then we should tell others about it. Now, we're not exactly like John the Baptist. We're not the official heralds of the Messiah who were promised in the Old Testament. But we do have the same job. We have a very similar job to what John had. Believe that he is the Messiah. Stand in awe of him. Humbly recognize our position before them. And then proclaim him to the nations. Proclaim him to... Sometimes we think nations. We think, well, okay, we'll, we'll never get there. So just don't do anything. But, but the point is, is that not just the nations, but every, everyone. Everyone that we come into contact with, we, we want to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We must respond with faith and awe and humility and with proclamation. Let's pray. Father, thankful for the testimony of John the Baptist and for the gospel of John the Apostle. And we're thankful for Jesus Christ. And it was clear from the very beginning of his ministry that he was the Christ. We, we know even more back to his birth and his young life as a boy. We see signs that he is the Messiah because we have special revelation given after the fact, but certainly people during the time didn't fully understand what was going on. And so they're kind of receiving it in pieces, and and yet you gave them the eyes to see, and we're thankful that you have given us the eyes to see. We don't count ourselves as more um, gifted or more academically privileged than them, but we do have uh, a greater amount of revelation than they did. So we're thankful for that. Uh, and and uh, even Jesus said that, that the, the least among us is greater than John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was the greatest among all the prophets. So we count ourselves as privileged in, in the sense not of our accomplishments, but, but in the, the, uh, the time period in which you have allowed us to live and in the resource of revelation that we have received great privilege to know that Jesus Christ has lived and he has died and he has been raised from the dead and that the record of this has been has been um, perfectly written down by means of the Holy Spirit's work through these men and now we we have it preserved for us and we praise you that it's in our language and and we're able to understand it and Lord we pray that you would help us to guard the treasure that has been entrusted to us, but but not to hide it under a bushel 
um, but rather to, to embrace it, to live according to it, and to proclaim it to the people around us and to the nations. Lord, would you give us eyes to see and greater faith to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Certainly we cannot deny that before being saved, but we all don't understand it fully enough, and so we're, we're great grateful for this gospel that helps us to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It helps us to, to deepen our faith in Him. And so we're, we pray that you would guide us through this study of John's gospel and help us to know our Savior more and to make Him known. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.